Welcome to your new favorite podcast, OMLS, with your host, Aryaman Varma. Here, Aryaman chats with religious leaders, economists, and modern philosophers to help shine a light on the dark corners of economics and religion. So without any further ado, let's kick off this episode. Welcome to today's episode where we will delve into the ancient and profound teachings of Vedanta philosophy. Vedanta is one of the six schools of Hindu philosophy, and it offers a unique perspective on the nature of reality, the human experience, and the ultimate goal of life. Through Vedanta, we can learn about the interconnectedness of all things, the nature of consciousness, and the path to liberation. Helping us understand this, I present Bhaskar Ramachandran, a professor at the Vedanta Institute London. Before we start, would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure, Ayman. Um, I'm based here in the UK, and I conduct uh, lectures, courses, and classes on Vedanta philosophy. I'm dedicated to this full time, and I've been doing this for the past three decades: uh, study, research, and dissemination of Vedanta philosophy. Right, and to get started. Can you give us a brief introduction to Vedanta philosophy and its key principles? The word Vedanta is a Sanskrit word which consists of two words, Veda and Anta. Veda right. means knowledge, Anta means end. So the word Vedanta literally means end of knowledge. Sure. And the key principle of Vedanta is the discovery of one's own self. See, right. the difference is instead of focusing on the world outside, Vedanta focuses on the world inside. And Vedanta is the technology of life management. It's the technology of self-management. Sure. And how did you first become interested in Vedanta? And what drew you to this particular philosophy? I was not interested in any religion and I was not going to the temple. In fact, my parents were complaining I was not accompanying them to places of worship or doing any rituals. And I was an inquirer. When I first came in touch with Vedanta, what resonated with me was its logical and practical approach to living. Right. And how? How do you see Vedanta as relevant to modern society and how can its principles be applied in our daily lives? Vedanta is extremely relevant to modern society because there are no do's and don'ts in Vedanta. Vedanta just offers logical principles for people to think about and then they can decide and implement whatever they want to do in their lives. So Vedanta is not watching over each one to see whether you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. That's not the way Vedanta approaches. It's a very liberal and universal philosophy and especially applicable to youngsters who want to think and decide for themselves. So Vedanta is based on eternal principles. As you rightly said, it's an ancient knowledge. It has been there for more than 10,000 years. but it is based on eternal principles, just as law of gravity has been coming for 10,000 years, but it's still relevant today. So Vedanta presents the laws of living, which is applicable 
to not only the modern generation, but even generations that are going to come 50 or 100 years later. Right. So Vedanta doesn't do do's and don'ts. It just provides the reasoning and it's up to the human being to make the decision then. That's absolutely right. In fact, the key statement in the Bhagavad Gita is at the end of the Bhagavad Gita, when Krishna finishes his oration to Arjuna and he is advising Arjuna what he needs to do. But the beauty of the entire Bhagavad Gita is at the end of that 18th chapter, Krishna tells Arjuna, I have said all that I have to say, Yatha Ichasi Tata Kuru, do as you wish. So right. even the great teacher like Krishna never imposed it upon his own friend Arjuna who surrendered to him completely. Right. He never told him, do this. He said, do as you wish. Sure. And can you talk about the, um, the role of meditation and mindfulness in Vedanta and how these practices can help us cultivate inner peace um, and self-awareness? Meditation and mindfulness are effects they cannot be practiced directly. And that is the mistake that people are making in the world today. Right. You need to prepare yourself for meditation. In fact, Vedanta defines meditation as single pointed concentration. Sure. And the logical way to look at it is if a person cannot practice general concentration, how can they practice single pointed concentration? So how does it help to cultivate inner peace and self-awareness is through the development of the intellect. Right. And yeah. when the intellect develops, you'll be able to concentrate. You'll be successful in your studies, at work, in your relationship. And further on, you can apply self, single-pointed concentration to the realization of the self, which is the ultimate goal. And you, you mentioned intellect. Uh, what is the importance of intellect in Vedanta and how does it differ to reason, etc.? In fact, uh, intellect is the tool for applying Vedanta. If a person doesn't develop their intellect, they cannot apply the principles of Vedanta. And that's what you find in the world today. A lot of religious and spiritual people, they talk a lot about these higher values and essential principles, but they themselves are not able to apply it in their own lives because they have a very poor intellect. So I'm just repeating it again. Intellect is the tool for applying any values in life. Right. And, okay. and, and, and since you mentioned reason, reason is a product of the intellect. So intellect means logic, reason, the capacity to think, to decide, and judge for yourself what is right from wrong. Okay, sure. And how does uh, Vedanta view the nature of the self and the relationship between the individual and the universe? The way the individual is connected to the universe is that all of us are spokes in the wheel of life. Now, none of us can comprehend the enormity of the universe None of us can understand the purpose of this universe, but we are all a part of this universe. So the best way to go about it is to understand we are all spokes in the wheel of the cosmos. And whatever is our obligation, we do the best we can. So if you are a painter, you paint. If you are a carpenter, you do carpentry. If you are a sports person, you play sports. 
business person to business each one does the best they can right. and the whole world will be a better place sure and uh, can well, well, how important is the concept of karma and how does it relate to the vedantic view of cause and effect it is very important because the word karma means cause and effect and the only difference is that in science when we read about cause and effect we are reading it in terms of the external world in the physical world and the chemical world how cause and effect is interacting but what vedanta does is it takes it to the inner world as well that the same cause and effect principles are operating at your mental intellectual levels so when you entertain a thought it is a cause and if the thought is negative the cause will be negative if the thought is positive the cause will be positive right right and um how does vedanta approach the issue of suffering uh, and the search for meaning in life the whole reason for suffering in the world is because people have not developed their intellect and since the intellect is not developed the mind overpowers your personality and is the mind that causes suffering so the nature of the mind is that the mind has a tendency to go into the past and the future it keeps vacillating constantly into the past and the future and this rambling of the mind causes stress and suffering number 2 the mind entertains desires which further causes agitations number 3 it develops attachment and attachment causes suffering so all the natures of the mind cause suffering and the only way to overcome that is by developing the intellect and keeping the mind under control and you how, how does one develop the intellect the development of the intellect is done through original thinking there are two principles all of us need to follow to develop the intellect the first thing is not to take anything for granted and second is to question everything now right. you you're born you go to school you go to university you find a job you get married it's a herd instinct and you're doing it because everybody else does it my father did it my grandfather did it therefore i also do it but hardly anybody sits and thinks why am i also doing this should i do it or not we are not saying people shouldn't do but first question examine find out what is the reason behind it and then do it when it supports your reason so that's how you develop the intellect is through questioning everything and then when you use the same power of questioning in the scriptures then your intellect develops even faster right so you need the original thinking to develop the intellect correct correct in fact uh, even the scriptures have been written by people who did not read the scriptures so it's it's not so much the scriptures that is going to give you the intellect but it is the original thinking that you apply to the scriptures that will develop the intellect right okay and can you talk the about the role of devotion and how these practices can help us cultivate a deeper connection to the divine see the moment we use that word devotion or surrender surrender is an awareness of ignorance that's all right. see for example you are building a house you are ignorant of 
what goes into building a house. So you surrender to the structural engineer, you surrender to the architect, and then you follow their advice, you follow their instruction. Similarly, you surrender to a doctor, you surrender to a solicitor. So surrender means in areas of ignorance, you follow somebody who knows their stuff. Similarly, as far as life is concerned, none of us know where we've come from. None of us know where we are going to go. It's all blank. So you surrender to that area of ignorance. And that is what devotion is. So when you surrender to a guru or you surrender to a scripture, all that you're doing is you're saying, I don't know, please help me out. Right. And do you think uh, in the modern world, there are too many people that don't accept the fact that they don't know the answer and so they don't surrender? Probably because uh, there is too much of information that is freely available. And as a result of which, when people read that information, they believe they know. But as Josh Billings, who is a famous uh, writer, what he says is, the trouble with most folks is not so much their ignorance, but they're knowing as many things which ain't so. Right. So okay. people believe they know, but actually they don't know. And the test of knowing is, are you able to apply those principles in your life? It's easy to talk to others. It's easy to lecture to others. But when it comes to your own challenges, are you able to face it properly? That determines whether you know or not. So true knowledge is develops through being able to practice it in one's lives. That's right. The difference is between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is information which you take from an external source. Wisdom is when you are wise within yourself. So right. a person may or may not have read the scriptures, but may still be a wise person because he has thought to himself or herself and has understood the realities of life. Right. And how does Vedanta view the concept of Dharma and how can we align our actions with this principle in our daily lives? Dharma literally means the righteous path and righteous path is the path which is set by your intellect. In fact, the beauty of the scriptures, the beauty of Vedanta is that it is very broad minded. It not only takes from the Bhagavad Gita and Upanishads, but it also draws inspiration from writers like Shakespeare or Wordsworth or Milton. So to quote Shakespeare, who defines what Dharma is, he says, to thine own self be true and it must follow as night the day thou canst not then be false to any man. So what he means is you need to be true to yourself. Be right. true to your conviction, true to your conscience. Then you're leading a truthful life, a dharmic life. Right. Okay. So one needs to, one needs to accept the truth within their lives, essentially. Uh, meaning that you follow your intellect. So yeah. you may consult others. You may get knowledge from others, guidance from others. But ultimately, whatever your intellect says, you be true to it. And in that bargain, others may not like what you're doing. Others may not agree to what you're doing, but you do what your intellect says, then you're being true to them. You're being true to yourself. So Vedanta philosophy is very open. It's very liberal and it's very, it's different to many interpretations. Is that right? That's right. That's right. It is 
perhaps the most liberal philosophy because there is no do's and don'ts as i told you in the beginning right. and a person could be from any religion from any gender from any caste any uh, basis see in the bhagavad gita krishna all the time keeps saying he who he who yaha yaha in sanskrit yaha means whoever is a person who practices this can develop spiritually so right. the person could be from anywhere in the world any background anything it doesn't make any difference sure and can you discuss the role of spiritual teachers and gurus in vedanta like yourself and how we can find a trustworthy guide on our spiritual journey the word guru means dispeller of darkness so all that the guru does is he or she dispels your darkness and darkness means ignorance so you choose a guru based on your intellectual understanding whoever appeals to your reason and who is able to help you sort out your issues you choose that person as a guru see in other words you may respect a lot of people but you actually connect with one person and the person whom you can connect with who you feel is able to help you directly that person should be your guru but you may have great regard and respect for several others that is different so guru is one whom you can connect with whom you can ask questions who you feel identifies with your problems and is able to help you directly and this can be in any field you have you have gurus in school you have gurus when you learn sports same principle you choose a guru when it comes to spiritual development as far as life management is concerned right and how does vedanta view the relationship between different religions and spiritual traditions and is it possible to reconcile different belief systems see the fundamental difference is between religion and philosophy if religion is not based on philosophy then that religion has no meaning so right. today what is happening is that if you look at all religions in the world they have boiled down to mechanical rituals superstitions and blind beliefs and it is because the religion is not being based on the philosophy people are being told what to do what rituals to perform what prayers to do when to go to the temple or the church or the mosque but nobody is encouraged to question and think why are they doing all that so philosophy should be the base of all religions and vedanta is the philosophy behind all religions in fact vedanta is just a philosophy that's all and even hinduism for that matter has adopted vedanta philosophy but you find that many hindus today they don't understand the philosophy they are practicing the religion mechanically and wow. that is not healthy for them and it is not healthy for the community right okay so there's not a, enough awareness of the philosophy when is for example in hinduism when people are practicing the religion that's right that's right so uh, they believe they know it but they don't know it because ultimately they get into mechanical rituals and superstitions and blind beliefs which indicates that it's not based on philosophy is what is interesting is even the great prophets like christ or krishna or prophet mohammed they all understood the philosophy 
and they gave that philosophy to their followers. But the followers did not go back to the philosophy. In fact, they got attached to their masters and therefore they are clashing with each other. The Muslims are clashing with Christians. Christians are clashing with Hindus. Hindus are clashing with some other religions because they are attached to their masters, but they are not basing their understanding on the philosophy. Right. And you mentioned superstitions. So what's um, Vedanta philosophy's view on superstitions? Superstitions are that which come from the mind. When the mind is in ignorance, it is an ignorant mind which projects these superstitions, which leads to further fear. And when you start applying your intellect, you realize that there is no need to develop any superstition. It's all based on cause and effect. So superstition is the opposite of cause and effect. Right. So right. intellect is that which uses cause and effect to determine the course of your life. And therefore, you don't fall a prey to superstitions. And can you talk about the role of scripture and sacred texts in Vedanta and how one can approach these texts with a spirit of openness uh, and inquiry? The scriptures are like a, a compass for the sailors. So when the captain is guarding the ship and he is directing the ship, the captain uses the compass to find the direction. Similarly, the scriptures are nothing but a compass to show us the direction in life. And if we use the scriptures in that way, then we understand the significance, the meaning, what the scriptures are telling us, and we can implement it and not fall into superstitions or blind beliefs. So all that the scriptures are doing is, it is asking us to think and understand and then decide for ourselves what we need to do. And how can we apply the principles of Vedanta in our relationships with others? And how can these teachings help us cultivate compassion um, and, and, and empathy? See, in relating to others, the most important factor we need to think about is have we assessed the person we are relating to? Many a times it happens, even relationship between a husband and a wife, even after 30 years, each of them have not assessed each other. So they get into a relationship because they like each other, but they don't use the intellect to assess the nature of that person as a result of which problems and problems arise as soon as they get into a relationship. So the first principle of right relationship is assess the person whom you're relating to. Assess your spouse, assess your child, assess your friend, assess your neighbor. Assessment is not judgment. Assessment is you understand the person so that you can relate correctly to that person. Right. And what's the um, Vedantic view of death and the afterlife and how we can prepare for this transition in a spiritual manner? Vedanta says death is just a comma. It's not a full stop. Right. In other words, you continue after death. Death is just the fact that you drop your physical body and you pick up another physical body. So just to give you a quick idea, there are three bodies that we have, the gross body, the subtle body, and the causal body. The gross body is a physical body. Subtle body is a mind and intellect. 
and causal body is vasanas which is a seed of a personality so when a person dies the person drops the gross body the physical body but the subtle body and the causal body are still alive so they move from one physical body to another physical body this is called the death of the first body and the birth of the second body and this is all that is the theory of reincarnation right and how does vedanta approach the issue of materialism and consumerism in modern society and what role can spiritual practice play in counteracting uh, these tendencies see the moment you say materialism what is materialism materialism is not contacting wealth materialism is not enjoying wealth but materialism is fixing the right value for wealth so through vedanta you fix the right value for what the world has to offer as a result of which you maintain a detachment with wealth you maintain a detachment with enjoyments so when a person is materialistic is because the person is fixed an exaggerated value on wealth and enjoyment or oh, if i get wealth my life is set if i enjoy my life is set that's the exaggerated value the person has but when you go through wealth and enjoyment you realize merely this is not going to satisfy me there are greater things i need to pursue to find the real satisfaction so you don't need to discard wealth you don't need to discard enjoyments go through them but understand the value of it this much it can give me this much it cannot give me and if you understand that then you maintain a detachment with reference to wealth and enjoyment sure and can you talk about the role of service and altruism in vedanta and how these practices can help us connect with others and live a more fulfilling and happy life there are three types of actions selfish unselfish and selfless selfish action is actions propelled by selfish desires unselfish action is action propelled by unselfish desires selfless actions are actions which are not propelled by desires so what vedanta is training people and educating people is to move from selfish to unselfish and then from unselfish to selfless so unselfish is to have a spirit of service and sacrifice to have a higher ideal to work for a high cause what can i do for my community so even people who are at work they often ask how can i practice service mindedness at work so what we tell them is when you go to work your thought should be what can i do for this organization rather than what can i get from this organization so ultimately it is a change of attitude not a change of action you can right. practice this in your own family you think in terms of what can i do for this family then rather than what can i take from this family it's sure. a change of attitude which makes all the difference yeah sure and how does vedanta view the concept of enlightenment and what does it mean to achieve this state of consciousness enlightenment is the highest goal which any human being can aspire and achieve enlightenment is self realization it is known as nirvana it is known as moksha it is known in different words but ultimately they all mean the same thing so what is self realization is i did explain to you about these three bodies gross body subtle body causal body 
beyond these three bodies lies the atman in sanskrit it's called as atman in english we use a neutral term called self with a capital s and what the lay person knows as god it all means the same thing god is within each one is not an entity sitting outside so right. when a person discovers that real personality within that atman the self within that person is said to be a self realized person a god realized person and that is krishna that is christ that, that is prophet mohammed that is mahavir they these are all great souls because they have discovered that self within themselves right and can, what what is the role of self inquiry and introspection in vedanta and how can these practices help us discover our true nature self inquiry again comes through the development of the intellect so when a person starts using the intellect the person starts inquiring about everything and this inquiry finally leads you to finding out your real self your true nature your true identity see the problem is that like an actor plays his role on stage and the actor when he is playing his role he remembers his true identity when he is playing his role so one day he could be in a romantic play another day he could be in a tragedy but he is not affected by the romance he is not affected by the tragedy because he knows that he is mr so and so playing this role similarly in life we need to remember that we are the self of playing different roles one day you play the role of a son another day after a few years you'll play the role of a father and then you play the role of a cricketer you play the role of a friend these are different roles but you remember at all times i have nothing to do with these roles i am the true self and when you remember that you will not get affected by any of the roles right right and how can one overcome obstacles and challenges on their spiritual path and what role does perseverance play in this process see to get established in the path and you use that word perseverance perseverance is what is known as shraddha in sanskrit so shraddha is the capacity to be consistent in whatever you choose to do so first principle is that you fix a goal in life and say this is what i want to achieve and then you use your intellect to pursue the goal until you hit it until you reach it it could be winning the wimbledon it could be serving the community it could be finding a cure for cancer it could be any goal or it could be a spiritual goal i want enlightenment but the principle of success is the same for all these goals to maintain that consistency until you achieve it right and finally what advice do you have for people who are interested in exploring vedanta philosophy further and how can we incorporate these teachings into our daily lives see first thing what we would recommend is that people can start attending classes and these classes are online and it is open for anyone to join and the classes will help people to get an introduction to the philosophy and help them remind themselves that they need to learn this it's almost like a gym for the mind so every week these classes are conducted on a regular basis 
and they can use this as a gym to develop their intellect and control their mind and number two is they can pick up the books and these books are authored by my guru a parthasarathy and these books are available as hard copies or ebooks and third is an e-learning course which is a structured course for those who want to step up their learning of vedanta it's a one year course which you can do it year after year and in total for 3 years so there are options available for people at different levels uh, at a very low level if you want to start start with the classes then step up to the books and then step up to the e learning course ultimately that's all for today's episode on vedanta philosophy we hope you enjoyed this exploration of one of the world's most profound philosophical traditions through the lens of vedanta we've gained insight into the nature of reality the human condition the path to enlightenment and the importance of the intellect we encourage you to continue explore exploration of vedanta and other philosophical traditions as there is always more to learn and discover thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next episode for more information about the omalas podcast please feel free to visit our website omalas.podbean.com where you can also ask questions and post reviews thanks once again to everyone listening and a huge thank you to basco ramachandran whose wisdom has been insightful thank you thanks so much for listening to this episode of the omelas podcast if you're enjoying the show please feel free to rate subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts that helps others find the show and we greatly appreciate it once again thank you for listening And we'll catch you in the next episode.